Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I've enjoyed life and I've enjoyed serving the people of the state, the city, the county, in this country. This is the greatest country on the face of the earth. I'm just glad to be a part of it. And I want to bring young people into the fold. I want them to understand that just a big wide wonderful world out there. We have to figure out a way to live in peace and harmony with one another and never ever dislike anyone because of race, creed, or color. And if you take on a job, take on the responsibility that goes with it. When you do those things and more, society's a better place for all of us. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is the most popular elected official Illinois has ever had, or at least as long as any of us can remember, soon to be retiring Illinois Secretary of State Jesse White. Thanks for joining us, sir. Well, glad to be on board, Fran. You said you're present and accounted for. You're a military man all the way. 101st Airborne Division, 2nd Airborne Battle Group, 35 jumps. You never worry about the jump, it's always a sudden stop. It never leaves you, huh? <laughs> Pardon me? It never leaves you? No, it would never. And that's why I believe that when you take on a job, you should take on the responsibility that goes with it and no excuses. How does it feel as you wind down your illustrious career in politics? Are you melancholy? Will it be hard to walk away, even for a very remarkable 88-year-old? I'm going to enjoy uh, my life like I am now. I have, um, I will, the question has always been asked, what are you going to do after you retire on January the 15th? Well, I'm going to continue to work with the Jesse White Tumlin team. That's a group that I started 63 years ago. I believe that when you come through this world, you become successful, you get back. But every day you must do something good for someone. And so I'm going to continue to work with those uh, 150 young people. And we do about uh, 1,500 shows a year. And I've been doing it for 63 years with uh, 18,000 young people. And at last count, uh, only 15 have gotten themselves in trouble with the law. It's been after combat juvenile delinquency. You have flirted with political retirement many times before. Why did you go through with it now? I thought enough was enough. And I think that you, the media, and others would tolerate me, me continuing to say I'm not going to run and then run. The last time I ran, I was drafted by the um, the unions. And so I went forward with the effort. And as it turned out, I, was, I became successful. And... Um, I just want to continue at that time to run the office like it is a business and put in the punch by which the people could be proud. You are, as I said, the most 
prolific vote getter in the history of Illinois politics. What do you think has been the key to that sustained popularity? Well, I, I'm at my duty station every day, discharging my duties to the best of my ability. I have a cell phone, and um, uh, pe- most people know what my telephone number is. They call me at home. They call me on my cell. They call me here at the office. And whenever they have a problem, I'm going to address it. And I'm easy to – I'm always out in the public, and I'm always on my phone. I'm always at my office. So people know how to get in touch with me. So if they have a problem, they know that I'm not going to sweep it under the rug. I'm going to address it. You run and took over an office that was disgraced by the licenses for bribe scandal that ultimately sent your predecessor and former governor, uh, George Ryan, to federal prison. In those days, commercial driver's licenses were literally for sale and bribes were exchanged for regular driver's licenses as well. That must have been a, a monumental undertaking. How did you clean that up and keep it clean? Well, I know that the Willis family lost their children as a result of um, a young person, a person uh, presenting a bribe to one of the employees. And, uh, and I put on a fellow by the name of Jim Burns, and the two of us got together. And I committed myself, and he too committed himself to establishing a, a code of conduct for my employees that you cannot ever accept a bribe in exchange for a driver's license or a CDL. People hate getting their driver's license renewed and it takes too long or it has taken too long. Um, the real ID took a long, long time for me to get. How have you tried to streamline stuff like that so that you don't have to spend hours and hours or all day waiting in line at the office to get the very basic thing that you need to go to work, enjoy your life, etc.? Well, you know, right now you could uh, make an appointment, uh, and by making the appointment, uh, it will at one of at our thirty driver's license facilities. Uh, that will speed up the process of you receiving the services, services that you receive and deserve. And one of the other things that I'm proud of, too, and that is the fact that uh, uh, the $7 million has been generated uh, from the program by which uh, you can get your sticker, your driver's license, or business uh, services uh, by way of our electronic system. You've talked about getting your start in politics from former county board president George Dunn, who I remember. He was your political mentor. George Dunn tapped you on the shoulder, I believe, in 74 or 75 and told you he wanted you to run for the Illinois House, representing a mostly white district at that time. You must have been flabbergasted. What was your reaction when Dunn came to you with that well, proposition? Came, and- well, every Monday night we'd meet at the Ward, 42nd Ward headquarters, and then from there we would go to Eli's Restaurant on Chicago Avenue and have uh, dinner. And he said, uh, Jesse, uh, our state representative, Robert Thompson, is retiring to Cosopolis, Michigan, and uh, we need a replacement, and we think that you would be the ideal person. Uh, I said, well, Mr. President, uh, I enjoy knocking on doors, circling the petitions, uh, getting out the word about the various candidates. Uh, and so I don't think I would do very well being an elected official. 
or he said, I think you have the right stuff to do that. I said, well, can I think about it? And every weekend I used to drive up to, up to Michigan, uh, just mountain. And I would go down this one hill with deep moguls and I was unsuccessful. And that was over a period of about 12 years. And so finally I went down this hill 12 times without falling. And I came back to Chicago. I said well, to myself, if I can handle this hill, I can certainly handle the political arena. So I indicated to him that I would take on the challenge of running for state representative in a district that was about 85% white, 10% black, 5% others, covering the Gold Coast area, Lincoln Park, DePaul, River North, Street of Ville, the Magnificent Mile, Cabrini Green. And I was successful and I served for 16 years. And then I was asked to run for the Cook County Recorder Deeds Office, and I was successful in that venture and served for six years. And then finally, um, at the war commitment of the 27th Ward, I was um, asked by the precinct captains for me to seriously consider running for Secretary of State. And I indicated that no African American had ever been successful in running for that office. And so they said, well, you should speak with Speaker Madigan and ask him about uh, his support for you. So I called Mike and I said, um, Am I, do I create a problem for you and the party in my desire to run for Secretary of State? He said, well, yes, you do. And so he indicated that it was important for us to have someone from Southern Illinois or Central Illinois on the ticket. And then later on, he said, there's a fellow by the name of Tim McCarthy. I said, who is Tim McCarthy? He said, he's the fellow who took a bullet for President Reagan. I don't know him, I don't trust him, I think he's a Republican. And so he, uh, I left and I went back to my organization, told them I'd get any satisfaction or any encouragement from Speaker Madigan. So um, I'm not going to run. So they said, well, we're going to circulate your petitions anyway. So they circulated the petitions. And about a month and a half later, uh, they asked me to take a look at the petitions that they had circulated. And as it turned out, uh, the petitions were circulated by Speaker Madigan. Uh, Ed Burke, uh, Tom Hines, and uh, Congressman Lipinski. And so then I decided that I was going to put my head into the ring or into the ringer. And I ran and <laughs> became successful, won by uh, 150,000 votes, I think, because I, I averaged between 14 to 16 events every day. And well, I, I don't understand the, why Madigan, why did Madigan give you the impression? that he thought that McCarthy was going to win and that maybe he would be supporting him and then circulate your petitions. What happened in well, between? Well, he did not circulate my petitions. He circulated McCarthy's petitions, but for some reason he thought, he said that he thought that McCarthy would bring more to the table uh, for the Democratic Party than I would. And I found out, and I told him, I said, you know, I think McCarthy's a Republican. He said, well, he would bring forth some wealth fair-thinking Republicans to the table, and it would help me to retain my position as Speaker of the House, and we would be able to uh, gain control of the of the Senate. And so you would not fit into that equation. And being the kind of a person I am, uh, I, I don't walk away quietly, and I'm not a quitter. So I told him I came to the meeting secretary as to why I shouldn't run. You give me a reason as to why I'm going to run. And I ran and became successful. And thanks to the people of this wonderful state of ours, I was able to serve them for 24 years on January the 15th. 
So were you afraid to defy Madigan? No, I, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not the kind of a person. I don't go away quietly and uh, I'm not a quitter. But I mean, he was all powerful. He was pretty he was. powerful then. He was, he was more powerful later, but to say uh, too bad I'm running anyway, that takes some guts. Well, I know it does, but I thought that I could outwork any candidate out there because I had the right stuff. I go to bed at two o'clock every night. I get up at six o'clock every morning. And uh, I don't think anyone could uh, outwork me. So you spent I, 16, I, I, I'm sorry, you spent 16 years as a member of the House that coincided with the reign of Madigan. What do you remember him about those iron-fisted days in the House? And how did you like taking orders from him? How did he operate? Well, well he, I, liked, I liked his style. I liked him as a person. And we were, were friends like? then, and we're, and we're friends now. His word what, you, was, what did you like? I like everything about him, but one exception was when he misled me about uh, wanting someone from central Illinois or southern Illinois to serve as Illinois Secretary of State. He turned around and he supported a fellow from Cook County uh, in the person of Tim McCarthy, who took a bullet for President Reagan. He, Tim is a good friend of mine. Speaker's a good friend of mine now. And uh, but I just that, that issue is over and done with. Matter of fact, Speaker Madigan has supported me every time I would run for re-election after that one occasion. Did he apologize to you for getting that one wrong? No, no, he did not. But he said to me, uh, "I want to support you in your effort to become the next Secretary of State after I won the primary election," and he's been with me ever since. And so what was your reaction to the indictment and his downfall? You know, first with the with the Me Too scandal and then with the ComEd situation, he's under indictment, Ed Burke is under indictment. I mean, these kingpins, the guys who ran Illinois politics, the big well, fish are both well, facing he, trials. He has been a force in Illinois politics for many, many years. I was surprised by it all and I wish him well. What did you learn from him in the House and all the years that you served with him and with him as party chairman? What are the lessons that you should take and you did take from Mike Madigan, the good well, stuff? I, had, I admired his work ethic. I also admired how he ran the House and how he dealt with people uh, and, and its members, and the members of the General Assembly and the Senate. So. I don't have a problem with him now. And as I said before, I wish him well. And I'm really saddened by the fact that he's in that situation. And uh, I'll always remember him and uh, remember his leadership style. Everybody was shocked that he, you know, because he's known to be so careful. He doesn't talk on cell phones. He peels his apples when he eats them. I mean, for him to for him to do the same thing. You do? You peel your apples. I'm like, did you learn that from him? No, I did. (laughs) They taste a lot better without the skin. Oh, okay. Okay, but you know, he's he's this careful person, and yet the indictment makes it seem like he made some mistakes here. Does that sound like the Mike Madigan you know? I'm surprised by it all. And I'm saddened by it all. Yeah. Do you think do you think he's gonna be convicted? 
that I, I don't know. I just wish him well. In the Secretary of State's office, other than preventing another major scandal and hiring Jim Burns to make sure of it and implement a code of conduct, what are you most proud of um, in that office? You've been a leading advocate on traffic safety issues. You pioneered crackdowns against drunk driving and championed teen safety laws that paved the way for the graduated driver's license for young people that reduce some fatal crashes by about 40%. What is your proudest achievement on that score? Well, I'm really surprised and, and, and proud. I'm not just say surprised, but I'm proud of the fact that our organ donor program is one of the finest programs in, in the country. Uh, I ask that when you're alive and well, give blood. When you're no longer here, give organs. And when you've done those two things, you will made a positive impact upon society. Consider the fact that one person can provide life or improve the quality of life for 25 individuals. You may not have a need today, or you, you may not have a need tomorrow, but sometime during your lifetime, you or someone that you may know will have a need, and we just want to make sure that there's an adequate supply of organs available. I implemented a program for teen drivers, 16 and 17 year old young people who get their driver's license. We yes, we pass, introduced and passed a piece of legislation in Springfield to allow them to um, become a part of the Oregon Tissue Donor Program. And I'm proud of the fact that 250,000 of these 16 and 17 year olds have signed on to become a part of the Oregon Tissue Donor Program. The safety net there is the fact that uh, we cannot use their organs in, unless we get the permission from their parents. But when they reach 18, then we will not have to uh, consult the parents. We can use those organs. Uh, at, we can use those organs whenever um, they are available. And I'm proud of the fact too that 7.4 million people have joined the registry, and um, we're giving we're in the possibility which individuals can sample to come a part of this program and that the organs can be used uh, to give others a second chance at life. You've led such an incredibly long and interesting life. You were born in Alton, Illinois, moved here to Chicago in 1943 with your family, attended Schiller Elementary, Waller High School. You were an accomplished athlete, all-city basketball and baseball. So good at, good at baseball, in fact, that you got offers from the St. Louis Browns and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Why didn't you sign with either of those teams? I signed with the with the Cubs. Uh, matter of fact, I went out to a field and may have been about 250 individuals trying out for the Cubs, and they only took five, and I was one of the five that they selected. But four days before going to spring training, I was drafted into the Army, and I was sent to Fort Dunderwood, Missouri for sp uh, spring training. And uh, so instead of going to spring uh, instead of going to Spring training, ended up going to basic training for Lindenwood, Missouri, and while I was there, I decided I wanted to learn how to jump out of airplanes, so I went to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and did 35 jumps, and came back to Chicago after my tour duty was over, played uh, seven years of professional baseball in the Cub organization, and after that, I taught school during the day, worked for the park district at night, was asked to put on a gym show, and from the one gym show in December 1959, came the Jesse White Tumbling team. We're 63 years old as we speak, and I've had over 18,000 young people to come through the program. And to my knowledge, only 15 have gotten themselves in the trouble with the law, especially after combat juvenile delinquency. 
But you didn't sign with the Pirates of the Browns, right? You went to Alabama State instead. That was a historically well, black yeah, college, I, right? I, I did. I, I attended and graduated from Alabama State University in Montgomery, Alabama. I played basketball, baseball, and taught gymnastics. And uh, Dr. King, I was there during the days of Rosa Parks, the lady who refused to move to the back of the bus. Right. And her name was Rosa Parks. And so at church, he... Well, after every basketball game, I was a pretty good score. But it was about 25 points a game. Uh, and so he, after every game, he would beat me and give me $20. Well, $20 was legal then. It's not legal now. But the bottom line is, at church, he said that the city fathers had asked him to lead the effort to desegregate the Montgomery Transit System, and he had agreed to do so. And he would use the nonviolent means approach in order to bring that about. So he said, if someone, so I'm a student of Gandhi. Gandhi was instrumental in bringing about the independence for the Indians from the British. So if someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn so you can struck on the other cheek. I raised my hand. He said, Jesse Way, what can I do for you? I said, Dr. King, you know I'm from Chicago, and we don't operate like that. He said, well, just do me a favor. Just follow the script, and everything will turn out just fine. And so I've had a wonderful, had a wonderful relationship with him. And much of what I do now in terms of conducting myself and the things that I do in life, is as a result of my experience with him, as well as George Dunn, my, I call him my Irish godfather. Your Irish godfather. The $20 for the being the high scorer, wow. Did, were you the only no, one who I was did on, that? I was, on, I was on public aid at the time. I came from a large family. There were seven of us, seven, four boys, three girls, and mother and father. And my father later got a job working for the American aircraft industry. And so, uh, but during those times, uh, during those days, uh, it was hard to come about, it was hard to make ends meet, but I was on scholarship. That, that was a good thing, but spending money when you're in college is always uh, important. Be able to buy something, uh, or a can of pop or juice or candy or whatever the case may be. And so he made sure that uh, every after every game, he would meet me, counsel me, and then he would uh, slip me $20. You've said that the Montgomery bus boycott and your participation in it with Dr. King and watching him shaped you. How so? Well, I've always had love in my heart for my fellow man and woman. And he just reiterated, all he did was just reiterated the importance of loving your fellow man and woman and never ever disliking anyone because of race, creed, or color. So I, I took it upon myself to try to learn as many different languages as I possibly can. So I tried to speak a little about five different languages because I believe you could speak someone else's language, eat their food, learn their dance, learn about their culture. It makes for a good relationship. And so with my kids, the tumblers, zero tolerance when it comes to racial hatred. A violation of all laws of human decency cannot play that card and yet be a part of my program. And so, have you kicked kids out for that for racially charged remarks? The question again Have you kicked anybody out because of that? I have not had to do that because they know I, I, I explain the rules, the code of conduct to them, and if they violate it, they become persona non grata. They say, Well, Mr. what does that mean? It means you're out of here. Yeah. 
In January 2009, you made headlines by refusing to certify Roland Burris's nomination to the U.S. Senate after the corruption charges leveled against now convicted former Governor Rod Blagojevich. In case anybody doesn't remember this, Blagojevich had been arrested and accused of trying to sell the Senate seat being vacated by Barack Obama. He famously said, uh, I've got this thing and it's effing golden. He wasn't going to just give it away. Why did you take that stand? Why did you refuse to certify that nomination of Roland Burris? You had to be friends of his. You you obviously knew him. Yeah, but I just didn't like the idea of the governor taking it upon himself to um, uh, support an effort uh, uh, requiring me to sign a document that would uh, propel Roland Burris to the position by which he could go to Washington and become a next senator. Uh, I didn't trust him. I didn't have a good relationship with him. And uh, I think I did the right thing. When you say you didn't trust him, why? Did you think he had bought the Senate seat or what? you didn't I, like I've him had, from another movie? Uh, we had some dealings with him uh, with regard to my budget and, and other items and within the office. And uh, his word turned out not to be good. And so uh, whatever he's involved with, anything, I always looked at it uh, in a suspicious manner. So you didn't buy the fact they didn't buy the seat or were you getting even with him from another movie? Well, first of all, the final decision did not rest with me fixing my signature to the document, but I refused to do it because of the fact that I didn't trust him and had and didn't have a good relationship with him. Okay. And I thought that it was the wrong thing to do at the time. There was also the infamous wiretap conversation of now Governor J.B. Pritzker discussing with Blagojevich potential African-American politicians that he might appoint to fill the Senate seat being vacated by Barack Obama. In that conversation, Pritzker referred to you as the least offensive close quote, of those who might cover the governor on what he called the African-American thing. Pritzker also dismissed former state Senate President Emil Jones, Obama's political godfather, as too crass for that appointment. What was your reaction when you heard that tape? Well, I, I heard it and I received a phone call that night from Governor Pritzker not Governor Pritzker at the time, but J.B. Pritzker at the time. And he apologized to me for making the statement. I didn't look upon it as being you know, a deal breaker. I didn't think it was that bad compared to what was said about the other two individuals. I've known J.B. Pritzker for many, many years. I've known his family, and we've gotten along quite well. They've been charitable toward my program I know where the heart is. I know where he was when it came to Jesse White and the Tumblers and some of the other programs I've been involved with. So uh, I did not look upon it as a negative. What makes you so magnanimous about that? I'm sure there are people who would never have forgiven that. Well, he just said I was the least offensive of of, of the of the three, and so uh, that was a plus, I think. Uh, within itself, but uh, no, well, doesn't that uh, sound I, like a, a bigoted remark to you? It it, it is, but it, but I know him, and uh, 
that that particular statement just is not a deal breaker with me. It's not the kind of a thing that I will where you throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, I just took that statement to mean that uh, I was not. I was the best of the bunch. I took it as a positive. I'm sure that wasn't the first time in your long and distinguished career that you've been the victim of racist or biased acts or statements. What's you're, the worst? Well, that's, that's probably the, well, I guess when I ran for Secretary of State, uh, when I went down south, there were some people down there who didn't exactly uh, like me, but I reminded them that I'm that black cat named White. <laughs> when they, um, you, they, they were, I'm just kidding with you. <laughs> you said you're a hard worker who out hustled everybody, traveled to every corner of the state after putting your political organization in place, average 14, 16 events a day. That's how you defeated McCarthy. What lessons are there in the way you did it for the politicians of today in this very toxic environment now with social media and all the animus on both sides? Honesty and fairness and uh, being fair to everyone and being accessible and if you are to run a particular office, you have to be at your duty station, discharge your duties in a manner which the people could be proud. Not only should you take on the job, but you should take on the responsibility that goes with it. And every day I am at my duty station and I'm working to improve the services that the people of the are richly need and deserve. The Chicago City Council is going through a major transition. 15 aldermen elected in 2019, one third of the 50 member council either already has left or have declared their intention not to seek re-election. Three aldermen giving up their seats to run for mayor and try to deny Lori Lightfoot a second term. How do you read what's going on there? Uh, you have a, a your, your uh, protege, Alderman Walter Burnett. What has he told you about the kind of place the city council is to work these days? Well, he is going to stay in place. Uh, with all the other aldermen who are leaving, uh, he's, he's proud of the fact that he represents the 27th Ward. And uh, uh, he, too, has a commitment to duty. Uh, we talk on a regular basis. And we uh, work, we sing out of the same hymn book, so to speak. What has he told uh, you about why so many people are fleeing? Well, he has, we have not had that discussion, but I've run into a few people and some of the people, have, some of the older ones have said that they're tired of um, the way things are going. Uh, they're having problems with their constituents and that uh, things are not like they used to be and not like they would want them to be. And so they're going to ride off into the sunset and do something else. And what about and the most, of, most, of, most, of those, most of those most of those individuals have, have reached a, a point by which they can receive a pension. So sure, I understand that they're maxed out. Else. But what about the crowded field of candidates lining up to challenge Lori Lightfoot? Her public approval rating stands at twenty five percent. At some point, she needs to get over fifty. How do you like her chances of doing that, and why is she so unpopular? You think? Uh, that I don't know, but I believe that she probably will be successful in her bid to get reelected. You do think so? Why do you think, I think so? so. How's well, she going to get think, over 50? Well, I think that once the field has dwindled down 
to where you say, hey, well, one-to-one with someone else, I think that she will be God's own favorite. As Frank Sinatra said, regrets, I've had a few. Have you had any in this long <laughs> career? No, I have not. I've enjoyed uh, serving the people of the state and the county and the city. And uh, I've had a wonderful, wonderful experience. I'm going to continue to work, as I said before, with the tumblers. I also have a drum corps because when I was in high school, I played in the band and orchestra, played drums with uh, under the leadership of Mr. Monsberger. And um, I started this program. It's 45 years old. The tumblers are 63 years old. And so, and I have a center called the Jesse White Community Center and Fieldhouse. I have a school called uh, Jesse White uh, Learning Academy in Hazelcrest. I do all of those things and more as a volunteer. And so I want this world to be a better place. I want the city to be the kind of a place where pe- people, kids can become better educated, better informed, and we can figure out a way to live in peace and harmony with one another. At Democrats Day at the State Fair, Illinois controller Susanna Mendoza told the crowd that you signify everything that's right in public service and you've lived seven or eight lifetimes during the course of your 88 years, all successful ones. Which lifetime did you enjoy the most? (laughs) I I cannot uh, identify one, but uh, I've enjoyed life and I've enjoyed serving the people of the state, the city, the county, and this country. This is the greatest country on the face of the earth. I'm just glad to be a part of it. And I want to bring young people into the fold. I want them to understand that just a big wide wonderful world out there. We have to figure out a way to live in peace and harmony with one another and never ever dislike anyone because of race, creed, or color. And if you take on a job, take on the responsibility that goes with it. When you do those things and more, society is a better place for all of us. What do you tell your tumbles about social media and the pitfalls of that? Well, you know, there's a situation that we're dealing with right now where we're helping a, a young man whose son was bullied and uh, he ended up uh, hanging himself. And so we're on a mission right now to uh, ide- make sure that our young people don't get involved with uh, electronic bullying and that uh, that's a no-no. So you tell them not to avoid social media, but not to use it for No, because they, they, they can use social media, but not for that purpose. Yeah. Secretary White, thank you so much for joining us. Um, take a bow, sir. You deserve it. And I hope you enjoy the next lifetime that you're about to lead and the wonderful job that you're doing with the tumblers. Keep up the good work, sir. And thanks for a job well done. Well, thank you, friend. In closing, I have a philosophy of life that I use on a regular basis, and that is love your fellow man and woman and make sure that you do something good for someone every day. Okay, that's good advice. And we will see you all next week. Thank you, friend.